You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 62, special COVID update. I've had a feeling for a while that my people needed to hear from me again on this, so this week we have a science podcast. This should be useful whether or not you are vaccinated. I think it has a lot of good information that is really useful to know. Enjoy. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. How do they compare the relative risks of vaccines and COVID? What are the data they're looking at? What makes them doubt the safety of the vaccine? What have they seen and heard? Once they feel like you care about their opinion so you can learn from it and them rather than demolish it or them, you're in a real conversation. Now you can get to the important questions. What do they want? For themselves, for their loved ones, for their country, for the world? Chances are this is where you can find common ground. We all want people to be well, to be free from harm, to be free from coercion. We all want the economy to flourish, even if we have very different visions of what that entails. We all want to be respected. From this place, you can begin to explore your differences with curiosity and compassion. It sounds like you and I want people to both be healthy and free from coercion. And this virus is sort of pitting those values against each other, and I'm coming more and I'm coming down more strongly on the side of health, and you appear to be, and you appear to value freedom more. But I hear your concerns about your health as well. And actually, I'm in favor of vaccination because I think it will give us all more freedom. That was the approach we used with one of our vaccine-hesitant friends. And after a conversation full of respectful questions and discussion, she told us, you know, I think I'm going to get the vaccine. Instead of trying to change her, We created an environment in which she felt safe enough to change on her own. We're not guaranteeing that outcome. We don't know how your conversations will go. But when you don't have actual power over someone, it's only through a caring and respectful relationship that you can influence them to change. If you want a loved one to get vaccinated, approach them with empathy and curiosity to communicate your caring and respect. It's your best shot at helping them to get theirs. I want to reinforce with all of you, I took much of today's podcast directly from the podcast with Ezra Klein and the CNN article. Both of them are linked in my show intro. I hope this helps you to understand where we stand and also have conversations that may be more helpful with those around you if you are vaccinated and feeling 
angst with your loved ones. Have a great week, my friends, and I'll speak with you soon. Hey, friends, before we start, I'm going to ask you all to pause this and go and write a written review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. I am really trying to grow the following and help more survivors find this, and written reviews go far to helping the reach of the podcast. So please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much. In May, the CDC said that vaccinated people no longer needed to wear masks indoors. You could walk around and see people's faces, smile at them, and breathe freely. I hadn't realized how much I had missed seeing people's faces. It was the start of the freedom we had all been waiting for. But recently, the CDC changed course, stating that the war had changed. They said that even vaccinated people should be wearing masks indoors in places with substantial or high COVID transmission. Unfortunately, that right now is at least 40 of the 50 states in the United States. So what does this mean? Will we be in masks permanently? Is our freedom going to be limited indefinitely? What about our kids who aren't old enough to be vaccinated yet? So many questions. Behind all of this is the Delta variant. In medicine, we are seeing that it can infect those who are vaccinated. For the most part, they don't get terribly sick, but they can spread it, and the new variant is hugely contagious, like as contagious as chickenpox, which is one of the most contagious of the childhood illnesses. From the NPR on July 16th, 97% of hospitalizations currently are in the unvaccinated. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, less than 1% of fully vaccinated people are getting breakthrough infections, with reports ranging from 0.01% in Connecticut to 0.29% in Alaska. It would seem that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are more protective against infection. So in other words, you may have more breakthrough infections among people who got the one-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Dr. Celine Gounder, an epidemiologist at NYU Medical School, CNN contributor, and host of the COVID podcast Epidemic, has some answers for all of this. She tells us Delta is different. Delta is more infectious than prior strains. It evades the immune system more effectively than prior strains, and it may even cause more severe disease than prior strains. And this is because the Delta variant fundamentally has much higher levels of virus in the nose and throat than previous strains. So if you imagine you're sitting next to a person and they have Delta, they are breathing that out through the air those Delta virus particles. And if they're sending out a thousand times more virus particles into the air than they would have with an earlier strain, you're way more likely to get it. She goes on to say the Delta variant does evade our immune system more easily. Even if you've had a natural infection in the past, if you're counting on that immunity to protect you, the immunity does not seem to be as robust against the Delta variant. What this means is that vaccination will help to protect you from a second infection. There's an estimate that people can have a thousand times the viral load with Delta. A way of framing this is in terms of time, because we think of exposure as dose of the virus multiplied by time. So when the CDC at the beginning of the pandemic said 15 minutes indoors with somebody without a mask was a close contact, if you're looking at a thousand times the amount of virus in someone's nose and throat today, versus what you would have seen at the beginning of the pandemic, 
that 15 minutes is now the equivalent of one second. This does not mean in 15 minutes you would have been guaranteed to get the infection at the beginning of the pandemic, and it does not mean that one second today means you're infected. But that does constitute a close contact today and does constitute a real risk. Dr. Gounder tells us also, the virus evolves to replicate more quickly and more effectively. How does the virus survive? It survives by making more of itself. It survives by escaping our immune system better so that it can replicate. It doesn't really evolve to necessarily make us sicker or kill us, but some of these other mutations that help it survive better can also affect how deadly it can be, how disease-causing it can be for us. When we see new viruses emerge, very often, almost always in fact, they result from a spillover event, what we call a zoonotic transmission from an animal host to a human host. We see this with bird flu, with swine flu, Ebola from primates and bats, Zika, HIV, and more. So this is a classic pattern. What happens in the initial years after that spillover event where humans start to get infected is that there's adaptation of the virus to the host. So you see a much higher rate of mutation with many of these viruses in the first couple of years, and then you start to see a plateau of mutation. That said, some of these viruses still continue to mutate at very high rates, the regular seasonal flu virus in particular. That's why with the flu, we end up with seasonal flu shots. We see a lot more genetic mutation in the flu, even though it's something we have been facing for a long time. With COVID, they don't think it's going to be that same rate of mutation after the first few years. We do think eventually we'll be seeing a plateau in the rate of mutation. Dr. Gounder goes on to tell us, regarding the question of this being more virulent, meaning more dangerous, this is a tough question to answer because you have to look at many of the other factors that are unfolding at the same time. Who's getting vaccinated? At what rates? What's the timing of when the Delta hit? With all those caveats aside, it does seem like Delta may be more virulent. So in other words, it can cause more severe disease. And the reason the Delta variant could potentially be more virulent or more deadly, more disease-causing, is that it reaches much higher levels of virus in the body. It's replicating so quickly. There's much more of the virus in the nose, in the throat, in the lungs. So this may be why the Delta variant could be causing more severe disease. Early in the pandemic, for example, we said kids don't get too sick from COVID. They're not too likely to transmit COVID to other people, whether it's to other kids or to adults. We are seeing a shift now where even kids are getting sick with COVID with the Delta variant. Even kids are ending up in the hospital, young adults as well. And there's a clear change in the virulence of the Delta variant, which we think is related to this higher viral load. We are certainly seeing more kids hospitalized and more kids ending up in the ICU. Now, is this simply more kids are getting infected and some percentage of the kids are going to get sick, be hospitalized and end up in the ICU? Or is it that the virus itself is more deadly for kids? That's a little hard to tease out. It's a bit too early to say. Dr. Gounder goes on to say, from the beginning, we've been saying that vaccines are highly, almost perfectly protective against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And that was for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as well as for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. We got very lucky that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were so good that they also protected against most infection. 
That's pretty atypical, meaning not typical for a vaccine to be that good. What our vaccines are really intended to do is to prevent severe disease, hospitalization, and death. We don't vaccinate against the common cold. We vaccinate against real infectious disease killers. And so she thinks that message needs to be reinforced again, that it is not in vain, that it is not useless to get vaccinated. We save lives through vaccination, and we continue to do so now. If we had run these trials on the Delta variant, she thinks we would have been saying that these vaccines will protect you against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. She went on to explain that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine had been studied as low-dose, high-dose, one-dose, or two-dose. They went forward with the low-dose, one-dose, because that's the way to spread limited vaccine supply across the most people. There is expected data from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the next few weeks about its other dosing regimens. We do anticipate there's probably going to be some tweaking of dosing regimens because of what we're seeing with some of these breakthrough infections. Most of people who are having breakthrough infections are not having any symptoms at all, or if they have symptoms, it might be like a bad cold, maybe a bit of fever, some muscle aches, essentially like a flu. They're not getting sick with low oxygen levels, needing to be in an ICU, needing to be on a ventilator. So that's a huge win that we're preventing all of that really severe disease. A lot of people have compared COVID to the flu. And to be very clear, COVID is not the flu. But through vaccination, we could turn COVID into something like the flu, where yeah, you might be a bit sick, you might not feel well enough to go to work or school, might feel achy and nauseous, have a bit of fever, the sniffles but you don't end up in the hospital. Ezra Klein in the podcast mentions a leaked CDC document seen in the Washington Post. This was the document that was behind the change in their masking guidance. In it, they're comparing, based on the data they have, outcome for infection, for hospitalization, for death among the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. The document says you're eightfold less likely to get the virus if you're vaccinated and you're 25-fold less likely to be hospitalized or die. So you're getting to fatality levels here that are beneath that of the flu if you're vaccinated. The seasonal flu is about 0.1% in terms of how many people it kills. That means for the vaccinated, coronavirus is now at a risk level comparable to other things we simply live with. Ezra in his podcast also references a discussion with Bob Watcher at UCSF. One of the things Bob was saying that worries him is that the vaccine effectiveness may be waning in the six to eight month period following vaccination, particularly the people who got the vaccines first or were older. Dr. Gounder replies, the groups in which I'm seeing the most concerning data in terms of immunity is frankly, the most highly immunosuppressed people. So these are the people, for example, who have had organ transplants, who are on highly immunosuppressive drugs people with blood cancers, or HIV and AIDS. These are groups that we do not see achieving high levels of antibodies even very soon after vaccination, and where there is data that they may well benefit from an extra dose of vaccine. In terms of the elderly, people over age 80, we know, respond less well to vaccination. Just like you're not as spry and strong, and your bones aren't as dense as they were when you were 20, your immune system is not as strong at 80 as it was at 20, and so we are seeing less robust antibody responses among the truly elderly. We don't see that reduced immunity in what I would call the younger elderly, the 60 to 70-year-olds. I think if there's any lesson from the Delta variant also, 
It's that when you allow the virus to spread anywhere in the world, it doesn't have to be here in the U.S., that it does lead to more mutations, more emergence of variants that can be threatening to all of us. So that's another reason to be really careful about how we allocate the limited vaccine supply. She goes on to say, we do see that Johnson & Johnson vaccine is less protective, especially against infection. It is still, even with the Delta, quite protective against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. But if you're one of these higher risk groups, elderly or immunosuppressed, she says that is a group where if I got the Johnson & Johnson, I would consider getting an mRNA vaccine to follow up that J&J. She thinks the goal is to live with COVID. COVID is not going away. The idea here is to really transform COVID through vaccination into something that we can live with. She anticipates where we are headed is that COVID vaccinations will eventually become a routine part of childhood immunizations, and eventually it will reach the point where older people have all been vaccinated, so it's really just catching up with the youngest, and that those vaccinations prevent folks from getting really sick with COVID. We'll just have some mild coronavirus cough, cold, flu-like symptoms, but no one will be getting really sick, except for maybe those few who remain abstainers from vaccination. In the podcast, they discuss the Key to the City program in New York City. While the CDC is putting forward this nationwide masking requirement, New York City is the only city in the country, to say nothing of state or national, that has put in place anything that looks like a vaccine mandate. Dr. Gounder explains it like this. I think this comes down to, in some ways, how public health is structured in this country. So the CDC cannot mandate. The CDC can only provide technical advice and guidance. And then it's really up to state and local health departments to decide whether they're going to mandate something. And obviously, that gets filtered through the politics of different local jurisdictions, through the social norms of these different jurisdictions. And she thinks that's what leads to some of this disconnect. I want to tell you, this interview went over a lot of additional information, and I just called through some of the most important facts. As I said, I have linked the original podcast in the show intro if you're interested in more information. I now want to talk for a minute about how we feel if we are vaccinated about those who aren't. I'm going to reference an article from CNN that's also linked in the show intro. This article is so insightful. It states, many vaccinated people are angry at those who aren't. If you've had your COVID shots, you may agree with Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama, who said recently, folks are supposed to have common sense, but it's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down. And it's not just the masses who are letting us down, but people close to us, our coworkers, friends, family members. You may be furious at what you see as the selfishness and ignorance and lack of civic responsibility in the people in your life who refuse to get the jab. And you're not alone. Social media is rife with posts that attempt to convince people to get vaccinated by explaining how wrongheaded they are. It's human nature. But here's a question. How's that strategy working for you? After you lay into the anti-vaxxers and the vaccine hesitant, are they thanking you for setting them straight and rushing to make their appointments? Our guess is that's not what's happening. Instead, those conversations get heated, things get said that can't be unsaid, and you both leave feeling angry, frustrated, and resentful. In the moment, it can feel good to indulge our emotions and let them have it. But the cost is high. 
We damage the relationships and they don't get vaccinated, even when we present them with clear, seemingly convincing facts. The article goes on to discuss the psychological phenomenon known as the backfire effect. This is a well-documented phenomenon, which we actually see in medicine. Giving people facts disproving their incorrect beliefs actually can reinforce those beliefs. Researchers have observed this phenomenon in the context of political misconceptions, voting preferences, and the decision to vaccinate one's children, and whether to get a flu vaccine. The more people are confronted with facts at odds with their opinions, the stronger they cling to those opinions. Speaking personally, I see this in people with aggressive cancers, with clear, proven improvements in survival with the addition of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. These people feel that the risks of chemotherapy and radiation outweigh the risks of cancer. This is clearly disproved by the literature, but the more you try to convince, the more they dig their heels in. The article goes on to say, and if arguing with facts backfires, you know what backfires even more? Criticizing, blaming, and shaming them for being thoughtless, selfish, stupid, ignorant, or psychopathic. You can check this yourself. When was the last time you changed your behavior in response to someone blaming or shaming you? The article goes on to discuss that we are at a crossroads here. Those of us who are vaccinated often feel very strongly about the unvaccinated, but also about our relationships. I think they put it perfectly. When the two collide, it feels like we have to choose. Do I risk getting a breakthrough infection by spending time in a confined space with my unvaccinated family member? Or do I risk the relationship by refusing to be in their presence or demand they wear a mask or try to convince them to do the right thing? How do we balance risk and relationship? The article shares a process that reduces risk through relationship. This is not my work. It is taken directly from the CNN article, but it is so good I have repeated it here for you in its entirety. I quote, while it isn't guaranteed to get the unvaccinated people in your life to drop everything and make an appointment for the shot, we think it will significantly increase your odds of success. Our approach hinges on your willingness to give up control, to acknowledge that the person you're trying to change has autonomy and will make their own decision. Of course, what you're giving up isn't control, it's the illusion of control. The person you're talking to is always free to get vaccinated or not. You don't get to choose for them. That's why you're trying so hard to convince them. So when we can't persuade with facts or criticism, what can we lead with instead? Two things, empathy and curiosity. When we demonstrate empathy, we show the other person that we believe they have valid needs and concerns. Even if we disagree with their position, we acknowledge that it makes sense to them. How do you show empathy to someone who doesn't want to get the vaccine? Let's make this real. Think about someone you want to convince. First, be okay with your own feelings. Are you furious at them? Disappointed? Terrified? Do you look down on them? Feel those feelings, own them, and don't beat yourself up for having them. Instead, have empathy for yourself. Your motivations are good. You want to reduce suffering, save lives, and allow people to congregate freely again without fear of infection. You care deeply, and because of that, you feel strongly about the topic. But now, don't act on those emotions either. Instead, extend your empathy to the other person. What do they care deeply about? Here's what we've heard from the vaccine-hesitant people in our lives. 
I don't want to put unknown chemicals in my body. I don't trust pharmaceutical companies. I don't want to be told what to do about my body. These vaccines have been rushed through without enough research, and they aren't even fully approved by the FDA. My chances of getting harmed by the vaccine are much higher than my risks of dying from COVID. I know you can argue with these statements. You might be doing it in your head right now, but can you empathize with them as well? Does it make sense that someone would want to avoid putting unknown chemicals in their body? Is it reasonable not to fully trust the pharmaceutical industry? It doesn't take a lot of Googling to find lawsuits and settlements of billions of dollars involving harms, false claims, and withheld information by drug companies. Isn't it true that we have only short-term data on the effects and side effects of the vaccines, if only because the trials began less than two years ago? In practice, empathy is about validating the other person's perspective without agreeing or disagreeing with them. It's making true statements that show the other person that you understand them to their satisfaction. For example, it sounds like you're fearful of the possible side effects of the vaccine, and that makes sense. It seems like you don't trust the pharmaceutical companies that are producing the vaccines. I understand that. You're worried that we don't have long-term data on the effectiveness and safety of the vaccines. I get that. Can we talk? And then encourage them to talk. That's where curiosity comes in. Ask questions, not to trap them in logical inconsistencies, but because you are truly curious about their answers. How do they compare the relative risks of the vaccines and COVID? What are the data they're looking at? What makes them doubt the safety of the vaccine? What have they seen and heard? Once they feel like you care about their opinion so you can learn from it and them rather than demolish it or them, you're in a real conversation. Now you can get to the important questions. What do they want? For themselves, for their loved ones, for their country, for the world. Chances are this is where you can find common ground. We all want people to be well, to be free from harm, to be free from coercion. We all want the economy to flourish, even if we have very different visions of what that entails. We all want to be respected. From this place, you can begin to explore your differences with curiosity and compassion. It sounds like you and I want people to both be healthy and free from coercion. And this virus is sort of pitting those values against each other. And I'm coming down more strongly on the side of health. And you appear to value freedom more. But I hear your concerns about your health as well. And actually, I'm in favor of vaccination because I think it will give us all more freedom. That was the approach we used with one of our vaccine-hesitant friends. And after a conversation full of respectful questions and discussion, she told us, you know, I think I'm going to get the vaccine. Instead of trying to change her, we created an environment in which she felt safe enough to change on her own. We're not guaranteeing that outcome. We don't know how your conversations will go. But when you don't have actual power over someone, it's only through a caring and respectful relationship that you can influence them to change. If you want a loved one to get vaccinated, approach them with empathy and curiosity to communicate your caring and respect. It's your best shot at helping them to get theirs. I want to reinforce with all of you, I took much of today's podcast directly from the podcast with Ezra Klein and the CNN article. Both of them are linked in my show intro. 
I hope this helps you to understand where we stand and also have conversations that may be more helpful with those around you if you are vaccinated and feeling angst with your loved ones. Have a great week, my friends, and I'll speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. I would really appreciate it if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows other patients to find me more easily. You can also find more information on my Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD. On the Facebook page, there is a group for survivors and caregivers where you can ask questions or make suggestions for the podcast. I look forward to interacting with you there. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.